All right, Scott Feld, thank you so much for joining me today. Looking forward to having this conversation. It's actually the first time that we've looked each other in the eye and had a conversation. We had a phone conversation right. a while back. I don't remember when that yes. was. It seems like it was a few weeks, but it was probably like two years. <laughs> yeah, I think it was <laughs> and, like two um, years. And um, that came about as a result of us both being in a Facebook group for people who had been through a Bob Proctor coaching program. So we're we're lined up on a lot of different um a lot of different fronts there. We're the same age. We both have young kids. And um just looking forward to having a conversation here. Like I I told you before we started recording, the way that these things go is we just is two guys having a talk. And um I'm gonna ask questions and selfishly learn more about you and about what you do. And hopefully the people that are listening will also get some benefit out of that as well. So um what uh I, I want to start out with um Dax to the Max. Tell me about Dax to the Max and all things related to that. Yeah, sure. So I wrote a book called Dax to the Max. It's a book for kids. It's a picture book. It's about 40 some pages. The concept behind it is using your imagination as a superpower to get past things that scare you. So changing what it looks like in front of you so that you can get past it. Making something that looks really scary make it look fun or challenging. Imagine yourself doing it, getting through it. See yourself smiling and happy at the end of it. So that's what Dax the Max is all about. It's for four to seven-year-olds, and it's really just that introduction to we all have inner superpowers, and imagination is one of them. And it's probably the biggest and best one, but that's an opinion. And and so Dax to the Max was wrote, it was book one, imagination. The idea was to write um, subsequent books, book two, book three, book four. I have not done that because once I put it out, I was actually surprisingly came from nowhere asked to write a pilot TV show based on Dax to the Max. I did that. I spent a year and a half. I had no idea how to do that, but I was led and guided and followed what I was taught and shown. And I learned and I wrote a pilot in a second episode and we created what's called a pitch deck, which is the marketing piece. We uh, were ready to send that baby out to your Nickelodeons and your Disney's and all your streaming services and wham, bam, there was a writer's and an actor's strike. And so Hollywood got shut down. They weren't accepting anything new. They're still not because they're trying to recover now that the strikes have just ended. And so the cool thing though is Dax to the Max was an idea that I really wanted to write a, a book for my son who is Dax and kids his age so that they could start exploring, again, their own inner superpowers, what they could do, builds confidence, loses fear, doubt, worry, helps them move forward. And, you know, lo and behold, here comes, you know, learning and writing the TV show and whatever might come of that. So that's where Dax to the Max is now, but I still go out and do interactive readings. Dax does signings. We visited all the Barnes and Nobles. We've done other podcasts and TV shows and stuff like that. So it's been such a great journey with my son. What inspired you to do that in Dax, the first place? Dax, you know, just, just know. And look, when I was, when I was a kid, like so many of us, you know, great childhood, really like great childhood got, but you know, but on this, but it was, it was on the surface. It was a great childhood, meaning that I got stuff. I had plenty of, you know, food and, shelter and I was warm and I got a car when I was you know 16 and Dax lives a similar life but for something was missing for me where I let fear stop me sometimes I couldn't see myself accomplishing something so I would quit 
if something felt too hard or difficult, I might quit because I didn't want anybody to see me struggle. This was like the mentality I had in my head. And I was like, man, once I, once I became aware of that and I learned what can be done about it and what can be done is you can use some faculties of the mind, which is what I call the inner superpowers to get past that. You can understand what it means to actually not do well, to fail and see it as a journey. But if nobody teaches you that, then you struggle. So you might have all the food, the car, the, the everything, but you're struggling inside. And for me now, what I know, I mean, look, I, I've never been in a place where I haven't had food, clothing, all that kind of stuff. But to me, it's that experience of like knowing who I am and what I'm capable of that is so much more valuable and so much more important. And so I want Dax to know that. And I want everybody to know that, right? That kids, because I want them to become aware as kids so they don't have to do what I did, right? Go through the entire childhood and be scared and be worried and go do easy things and not grow instead mm -hmm. of go do hard things and be okay with the journey. So that's why I wrote Dax to the Max. I feel like... Um... I said earlier, we are the same age. I feel like that, that my experience growing up was, was quite similar too. I was taken care of. Um, and, uh, before we started the show, we talked a little bit about some of the cycles that, that we've broken, like generational cycles and, and addressing that. Um, I think my parents did a good job on some of those things, not passing that on to me. Like the most obvious one being, I don't remember ever getting spanked. But I do remember my mother telling me that it was nothing for her to get backhanded across the mouth just for looking at her mom the wrong way. Right. And, you know, I, I understand everybody's operating with whatever programming was instilled in them. So how far back does that go? I don't know. But I, I, I commend my mom for for drawing that line in the sand and sticking to it. And um, the, I think the challenge that she ran into and the challenge that, that parents run into, um, in attempting to break cycles like that is we are very cognizant of the thing that we don't want, but what do we replace it with? Because there has to be something there. Right. And, and so when you talk about developing the superpower of imagination, which uh, we had a conversation about that a while back too, talking about Neville Goddard, because, you know, imagination and faith, imagination creates reality, all of that sort of stuff. And I'm a hundred percent with you. My son just turned five and he's, he's learning that and he understands that already. And it's, it's really cool to see him do things like if he wants something to go a particular way, um, I actually got a, a video of him shooting a basketball at one of those little uh, goals that hangs on your bedroom door. Mm -hmm. of him shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting. He missed five or six shots and I'm videoing. And I said, Liam, can you see it in your mind? And he, he goes taps right where his third eye would be and, and like spends just a few seconds doing that. And the next shot was just swoosh, nothing but net. So it was, <laughs> awesome. it's really cool to see that kind of thing play out. Um, tell me if this is true of you. My parents told me you can do or be anything that you want to be. And, and they, they told me that from day one, but they didn't live it. And mm -hmm. I, and I feel like that has a very pronounced effect on why I am so interested in making sure that my son picks up on not only the idea of developing his superpowers, 
as you as you so eloquently put it earlier, but also seeing me and seeing his mom actually live it out instead of just saying it because to me it sort of became another variation of the do as I say not as I do I don't think my parents believed or knew that they could do it but I think they had faith in us as kids was is that a similar situation to what you grew up with I think so I think what comes to my mind is that so in order for us to have a nice house and have the food myself and my sister um my parents you know they achieved a certain level of success um, at least monetarily wise and stuff like that. And then I think that they just, the expectation was that their kids would do the same, but, but the missing piece was, I don't believe my parents actually ever knew how they did it. Hmm. So they weren't able to pass that on. So they wanted great things for us as we grew up. They hoped great things would happen for us, but they didn't have a like a game plan for us. Right. That was really like, visualize what you want you know it was more like the go to college or you know get a career or work hard never stop you know that's life it wasn't visualize what you want like you're doing with liam right the basketball because we're not just talking about shooting a nerf basketball we're talking about a skill to take into everything that you do so that's the thing that my parents didn't know. They couldn't have taught me. They didn't know, right? And so I don't actually, I'm going to see my parents. And my parents are so alive. I'm going to see them next week at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Dave, I'm going to ask them, did you guys ever visualize what you wanted? Mm. I want to know, because that just brought that up for me. I want to know if they ever had like any experience where they were like, closed their eyes, looked in their mind's eye, saw themselves achieving something and then went for it and achieved it with a belief or if it just was sort of like a random occurrences and the things they did added up they really didn't know why or how but here we are that's what will happen to you so mm. <laughs> you know it's interesting huh that is interesting and and you triggered a thought in me in saying that both my parents are gone now but my dad was skilled at a number of different things one of which was carpentry and things associated with with building stuff like that and I remember like, like you triggered a memory when you were saying that I remember him talking about this part of a house that, that we lived in, that he was building onto and him, there was nothing there and him describing to me how it was going to go and telling me that, you know, the number of feet that it was going to be this way. And that, you know, this doorway was going to be here and, and all of that kind of stuff. And he said, I can, I can, I can clearly see this right here. Like, you know, um, so I know that he had the cool. capacity and had and and successfully applied it to being able to take something, imagine it, and then go through the physical steps to create it. But I don't think he ever caught on until much later, like close to the end of his life, that that applied to everything, not just building stuff. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. interesting that you bring that up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier that... Uh, imagination being superpower totally agree with that and it probably is the biggest one and it's the one that we all share right like all that that is a human condition that that or or a human faculty that we all share um and and i actually talk about that in my strongman shows as well um there's a whole section in shows that i do for corporate stuff that's that revolves around imagination because with 
being a strong man, if I can't see myself do a feat in my mind, my chances of actually getting it done are, are, are very, right. very low. Right. right. Um, but you said something about the, the mental faculties that are the superpowers. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I, I think I know what you're talking about, but I want to make sure I don't want to assume anything. So imagination is one of these mental faculties. How many are there and what are there? Yeah, well, I mean, there is actual scientific faculties. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Imagination is one of those, mm -hmm. but I don't go too deep into the others. And and the truth be told on the spot here, I don't really even remember. Them. Um, I know memory is one. That's funny that I just said that, um, you know, um, but what I so first as I go back to imagination, if I can for a moment. Sure. So I so I teach these inner superpowers inside of what's called um, a power quest or a power party, or I might go power speak. Everything's under Scott Feld. That's me. Scott Feld's power up experiences all designed to empower. But because I work with kids, mostly kind of in that eight to 13 year old range, the power up is, is really an empowerment. We all have to go look and see where, we could really make the biggest difference. And so, you know, in marketing, it's calling niching down or finding your mm -hmm. dot. And mine is this group of kids who want more, feel limited, might be getting frustrated, uncertain, confidence is going down, could be on the brink of being pulled away by the sharks. Like when I was like, hey, you want to cut school? Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Right. That's what, you know, mm -hmm. that's what happened to me. Nothing good comes of that. Um, so that's kind of my dot. That's the, that's kind of the person that I work with, that I work with. And so when we talk about imagination, we're talking about creating a directed, directing, it's not daydreaming. It's directing your, your thought process towards a certain thing. So like the example you gave with your dad was he was imagining what this room would look like, what this place would look like. He wasn't just daydreaming and whatever came in. Mm -hmm. And if that happened to come in, he directed it. And so we talk about directing your thoughts towards what do you see yourself could be, but we do it in a certain way. And the certain way is I tell them because they're kids and it's fun. Although I say this to adults too, I say, you got to get your butts out of the way. And of course they laugh because they're kids, right? But it's not the yep. B-U-T-T, it's the B-U-T. You got to get the conditions out of the way, right? Because we have imaginative thinking, conditional thinking. So if we get our butts out of our way, we're getting the conditions out of the way, which looks like I would totally do it, but, right? Right. I'm too short. I'm too small. I'm too scared. I'm, you know, those are the things you might say to yourself out in the world so that you don't look bad. You might say, Oh, I would totally try out for that team. But, you know, um, I got this thing with these people on, you know, the same day. And so I can't, but I would, right? Right. I'm scared, not afraid. Just so you know, while inside you're going, oh my God, I'm so scared. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to get your butts out of the way. And so when I talk about the, the superpower, because I don't call them faculties. When I talk about the superpowers that are inside of us that we can bring out, I use something called the power formula and the power formula for some reason my seat is shrinking down. The power formula is asking four questions. The questions are who, what, why, how? So we start with the ingredients that make up me. 
And it's what do I already have in my inner fridge? If I wanted to make a chocolate sundae, I need to go look in my fridge and see what do I already have? How much of it based on how big of a sundae I want to make? What do I need to go to the store to get so that I can put all the ingredients together and make that chocolate sundae? Well, let's look at your goal. Let's right, we'll get to the what question next, but what is it you want to make? Well, I want to make the basketball team. What is I don't know, you got me thinking basketball now. I'm your Liam example, right? I want to make the basketball team. Well, what's what ingredients will you need? Well, I'm gonna need some determination. If I haven't played that much, I'm probably gonna need some courage. You know, the skills I'm gonna learn, but I'm gonna to need to be able to be okay with, you know, learning the growing. So I might, you know, throw the ball out of bounds and miss a lot of shots, but I'll be getting better. So I need to be good with that kind of thought. These are the ingredients I need so that I can go and play basketball. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. What do you have already? What do you what do you see? Do you already have some of that stuff? Do you have enough of it? If not, you can take more. You can imagine yourself as that person now with those ingredients, and you can take them into your practice, into your tryouts, into your games, and you'll build upon it. As you use it, you get more of it. So then we do the imaginative thinking. I use Play-Doh because we use toys and interactive. Here you got this ball of Play-Doh. You could make it anything you want. Boom. You just turned it into a flower. Wow, that flower would have never existed. One of the mentors that I love is Mary Morrissey. Um, oh, yeah. She's someone who says everything's created twice, first in the mind and then in mm -hmm. action in the world. That's imagination, right? And then we talk about why do you want it? This is where I talk to them about going from their head to their heart. I tell them they have to think it first, and then they can feel it. I want to make the basketball team. <laughs> that kind of makes me excited. A little yeah. nervous, right? I'm excited. You get in touch with what nervous is. Nervous is okay. It just means you're stepping out of your comfort zone. You're doing something new. Cool. You know, as plants grow, if they felt, it would probably be a little painful to like keep expanding and expanding and expanding. You're expanding, right? Yeah, little feelings. So I yeah, tell them that. Especially for the, for the piece of, the piece of grass or the the little tiny plant that managed to break a crack in the sidewalk. <laughs> oh my, right. right. Oh my God. <clears throat> so it's think it, feel it, and then it's be it. And, and the be it part means that you keep it with you because feelings kind of come and go. You're, you're happy, but you're not staying happy usually. Right. Unless you create that all the time, you're sad. You're not staying sad. Feelings pass by, but this particular feeling of excitement and, energy that's towards like what you want hold on to it use it right it's your power it's your electricity to take you to where you want to go that's how i explain it and then we talk about how right and the how is knowledge first it's just knowing it's like what do you see in front of you that you could do all right well i i know that i need to ask my mom to take me to the you know for my age group to the the basketball tryouts i need to make sure i know the date of the basketball tryouts i need to know like like these are the action steps of the hows, right but then there's gonna become the hows that you don't know yet right those are gonna show up on the journey and i always tell them you know you start at the trailhead you're gonna go on a hike and if you take the hike and you keep going you keep going you keep going around that corner that bend where you can't see from the beginning might be the most beautiful waterfall right but you never see it. You never know it unless you took those 10, 20, 50 steps it took to get to that spot. And so we start talking about how is knowledge. And then experience becomes action. 
action turns into experience. So first it's knowledge, then you take action and now you're having the experience of doing it. And that's where the real growth and everything occurs. Of course, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of coaches use this one, but it's, you know, if you read a book about swimming, you actually will know how to swim, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean you can swim. You'll have the knowledge of swimming. You're supposed to put (laughs) one hand below bubbles. You're right. I get it. All right, go do it. No way. Like, I don't know how, Like, right. I've never done it before. Got to have the experience. So those are some of like the superpower type things that we talk about inside that power formula. And it's all created from inside. If you notice, right. It's like, who am I? Who do I want to be? How can I be that? What do I want? Imagination, right. Not based on outside conditions. Why do I want it? That's an internal feeling that you're going to hold on to. How am I going to get it? This is knowledge based from your mind, right? This is all inside to outside, mm-hmm. right? That's how Bob used to tell us when we were in the training, he'd say work inside out, right? That's what he would say, inside out. We'd be like, what? Work inside out. Internal stuff comes out into the world, not outside world comes in. Now I have a thing called Confidence 360 and let me know when I'm talking too much, Dave. I have a thing called Confidence 360. Confidence 360 means that kind of like inside you want something to desire. You bring it out to the world. You put five seconds of courage into it just enough to take a step, take an action, bring it into the world. And then you see what happens with the right relationship to what happened, not Oh my God, I failed. That didn't turn out the way I wanted. Run back into your turtle shell. Never do that again. Or analyze scientists go, wow, I see what happened. That was the result. Cool. Bring that back inside. Use it. You have a piece of experience now. Reimagine yourself. Redesire what it is you want. Take that experience with it. You won't do the exact same thing twice. Now there'll be some improvement, some different outcome as you build and you grow, but you have to have that relationship. And that's one of the things I teach my clients is that. So, so in, in doing that, if I'm understanding you correctly, you take failure, which is something that for most of us has this negative connotation that we've failed, that that makes us somehow less than, and you've, you've repositioned failure or, or, or reframed failure, not as something to be afraid of or to avoid, but as the actual framework for improvement. Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the lessons. It, it, it becomes a feedback loop. Like I, I, it does. I, it does. I do this and part of it works. Part of it doesn't work. Hopefully do more of what works and less of what doesn't work as and yeah rather than just saying oh no i failed and, and going back and and hiding in the safety there's a that's it that's right i mean there's there's a thing that, that where professional mm-hmm. athletes have this relationship with failure and so after games they look at tape now if you're mm-hmm. untrained you look at tape and you and, and if things didn't go well or you made mistakes you didn't win the game maybe you had some turnovers if it's basketball missed shots you would be looking at failure and what went wrong. And then you would start feeling bad about yourself. So your confidence would go down. That watching the tape would actually have a negative effect on you with that relationship because you would go into your next game, maybe not wanting to pass as much, not wanting to take the shots, right? 
you would diminish yourself, make yourself I, smaller. So you'd have the attitude of, of, I saw myself make this mistake. And then the next game, I'm going to avoid that. So I don't make the same mistake. Avoid it. Right. Not change it. Avoid it. Run away from it. Right. Stay away. But those who have the right relationship and the ones that you see excel at the highest levels and improve game after game, year after year, are the ones whose relationship is not something's wrong, but something's missing. What was missing mm. that I can see that I can now do add so that I can get the result I want? I got to here. I want to get to here. What's in the gap? Let's fill in the gap. So, oh, I can see that my wrist was turned a lot, or I can see that I was forcing shots, or I can see that I wasn't really looking for the open man. I was playing too quickly, whatever it might be, the basketball things, right? It can be in anything, just using the basketball analogy. But what is it that was missing? Because now you're you're getting stuff. You're, you feel better because you go into the next game now with this information, Oh my gosh. Okay. Now I can adjust that and I can take the shots. Oh, now I can make these passes still. I just have to do this one thing that I saw that was missing so that I get the results I want. And that's the relationship that, I, that we have to get. I certainly did not have that as a kid. And that's something that I'm dedicated, committed to have, letting kids who do my, my programs get, because it's so important. You either go down or you go up. Definitely. I, um, I love that you're you're framing it that way with the the analogy of, of going back and watching the video, right? Because as a as a strongman and as a performer and a speaker, that is that's one of the reasons that I if I can at all possible make it happen that I'm getting a recording of what I'm doing in front of a crowd live. Um, I like to have that so that I can go back and say what landed what didn't land, why didn't it land, why did it land? Um, and, you know, going back and, and, you know, this from, from speaking and being in front of people, sometimes you hit that flow and you hit that place where you're almost having, having the experience of being the observer, watching yourself, mm-hmm. um, it, be the conduit sort of channel this thing. And, and some of the, my favorite moments that I've ever had, and heard stuff come out of my mouth that I didn't even realize was me saying it until I went back and watched the video. Um, and I'm like, okay, how do I tap into that? You know, how do I, how do I get to that place? And so for myself and that, and this is something that I haven't gotten to that point yet with my son, because we're not in a place where, you know, he's, he just turned five. So we're not in a place where I've found that this particular thing is, useful or will hold his attention long enough to do it but go back and imagine myself in that same position again what did it feel like and by by feeling that i can then replicate the the circumstances or the situation in my mind and put myself there again artificially or imaginally and set myself up for this this continuing loop with that so i love that you've systemized that and um adjusted it in such a way that you're making it age appropriate for eight to 13 year olds to be able to, to recognize that they have that power. And then not only do you have the power, it's a skill that you can develop. Yeah. This is the way you do it. So I think that's, that's brilliant. And you added something that's really important because when you look at that tape or or your, 
looking at, you know, back at what you did, you're not only just looking at what was missing, you are looking for what went right, went well, so that you can duplicate that, right? So you have like mm -hmm. a two view thing, but if, but you, but often, you know, I speak from experience, but I know lots of kids that often they have one view, it's a very narrow view. And that view is, oh my God, what did I do wrong? How did I look bad? And let me avoid that at all costs. Right. So. Right. When really the, the thing that it, it, I believe that we should be looking at is, okay, this thing happened. It didn't go the way you wanted it to. It didn't go as well as you wanted it to. Sure. We can call that a failure. What adjustments can we make to, to use that as a learning tool rather than mm -hmm. that's just something that sucked and I want to avoid it. I don't want to do it anymore. And so, yeah. um, how do you, how do you communicate that ability to, to do that? two kids in such a way that uh, I mean obviously with with your own son you're with him as much as you're with him and you're able to to just model that and be that around him and everything but if you're if you're at a book signing or you're talking to some other kids that are you know that you're not around all the time and you've got 30 minutes or 45 minutes with them how can you communicate to them something that helps instill that confidence in them that helps them to understand that failure is the way to improvement um when they may not be in a home environment where the parents are even aware of that how like what's something that, that you can you can bring this this massive truth bomb and drop in there that makes them um realize that that what they're experiencing at home is not the only way that that failure can be interpreted um the frenemy and the bff so the next thing after we do the power formula is we do power thinking. Power thinking is where we distinguish two voices in our head. One of them, and we use like plushy dolls too. One of them is the frenemy. And that's a kid term of friend mm -hmm. and enemy all in one. <clears throat> and the other is the BFF, which in, you know, kid talk, that's best friend forever. However, we just shifted it to biggest fan forever. Mm. So when something comes up, like the examples that we're using and you experience the, I'm not good enough. I want to run away. I want to avoid this. You start understanding that that voice is a frenemy voice. Here's why it's the frenemy. Looks like it's protecting you. Looks like it's keeping you safe, out of danger, but really it's holding you back. Mm. The very powerful voice, if you just allow it to run, it runs your life, takes over. It's a programming. We also talk about that as the autopilot voice. The autopilot gets programmed and takes you wherever you program it. Kids didn't really have a choice in that programming. It came from their experience, potentially genetics, their, you know, both experience at home and whatever socialization they've had up to then. But it doesn't have to stay programmed that way. It just takes them where it currently is programmed. So we just let them know there's a voice, a frenemy. It's there. Then there's another voice, biggest fan forever. This is a voice that might be whispering. Hey, you can do it. You really want this. It's good. 
can't really hear it because over here is like, don't do it. It's too scary. Did you see what happened? We talk about empowering this voice and quieting this voice by creating and repeating what it is we actually really want. What we, what we really want to hear. And I ask him, I go, you have a friend standing next to you. Friend goes, every time you try something, goes, oh my God, you were terrible. You should have never done that. I would never try that again, buddy. Is that a friend you're going to want to hang out with all the time? No, right? But that's what the voice sounds like, that friend of me voice. Mm-hmm. And another friend on the other side who's like, no, 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 go for it, man. You did so You did so good. You tried. It was cool that you tried. Go try again. You're just going to get better. Now that's who you want to listen to, right, if you can hear it. So when they see that, and then they understand that they can reprogram by repetition of a new conversation in their head, they feel empowered. Like, wait, I don't have to just listen to this and be scared and be afraid. I can actually create courage. I can create, like, I can be my own biggest fan inside my own head. That's exciting news. But it doesn't happen overnight. So we talk about superpower thinking, which is the neural pathways. And we don't really want to get too scientific on neural pathways. We just say there's trails that are dug, that are built. And they're built more on repetition. The more you say, I can't, I won't, I don't, I'm not good enough, too hard. That's where you're going to go every time something new comes up. But because you can repeat anything you want to, you can say, I can't, I will, I'm good enough, I can do it, I'm learning, I'm growing, we can build those trails. Now something new comes up, that pops into your head first, right? Hey, basketball team tryouts. It's the louder voice. I'm good enough, I can do it. I I just know, like, I'm going to love this. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to learn along the way. I know it's not going to, like, just, I'm going to do it, though. Wow, that's good. off I go. Right? You charge that one up. That one's ready for you now. That's the programming. That's going to take you where you want to go. If we went to the autopilot example, it's been programmed. Hawaii. Right? Here we go to the goal. So that's kind of how I show them in a kid way. And we use some props, we use some kinetic sand, and we use some gliders that we fly so they can kind of just see it, feel it, put it into action in a fun way. Because I always say that I empower and entertain at the same time, right? It's an interactive experience when you work with me because I know how kids work. They don't want to sit and listen to me talk for hours and hours. They want to play. They want to have fun. So it's play with a purpose, another thing that I tell them so that that's how we start in, ingraining like that confidence like you know i think i answered your question right didn't i yeah this yeah. is how we started doing it yeah and and then finally we just talk about the power place so look you're going to be out in the world and even with your superpower thinking you know growing and being stronger and that voice getting louder there's going to be times and moments where it's just going to feel like too much. So we've used some scientific kinesiology type things where we let them know that just a change in body and a change in like the way your shoulders might be, your chest might be, how your breath might be, allows you to take yourself to what I call the power place. 
three breaths, but we talk about those breaths going to the solar plexus. We talk about the solar being the energy center, like the sun, solar, right? Breathe to the solar plexus and build the energy. You're going to empower yourself, right? And then you're going to take a power pose and we have fun with it. You're like, poses, whatever they want to do. And they just know that that's their spot. That's where they can go. So they take the breaths, they get into their power pose, and now they feel more powerful than whatever the conditions, circumstances, obstacles, challenges that face them. They can go into it like this instead of like this. Hmm. It's just a difference in how you are, you know, physically. Um, so that's the power place. And then we do a scavenger hunt because that's power action because now they can see themselves accomplishing little goals by finding things in different places, going for the ultimate goal of finding everything and completing the scavenger hunt. And now they see themselves winning because that's how we learn. We see ourselves accomplishing and winning, right? Builds our confidence. So that's how I, how I do it with kids um, when I do my program or some version of it. Now, if, if, if dads are listening to this, and they want to be able to implement some of this stuff into their own lives um, to create a you know a better, more positive like learning environment for this sort of stuff for their children in their own home. What's a way that they could get started doing that? If they just heard what I said about asking their kids. What do you, what would you like to do? Sitting down with them and actually saying, what would you like to do? See, my son, who's going to turn eight in January, he surprised me because, Dave, when I was going to have a boy, just because of the way I grew up, I was like, all right, it's going to be soccer games and baseball games. I'm probably going to coach. And my kid came to me a couple of years ago. He'd done some soccer, did some basketball. He was like the littlest, youngest one there. He came to me and he goes, Dad, I don't think sports are my thing. <laughs> like, what? what does this mean? Where do we go with this, right? What an amazing level of self-awareness. <laughs> Crazy, like you're right. I mean, like so I, then, I know I know people in their 40s and 50s that don't have that level of awareness <laughs> and that level of, I, of, yeah. of like willingness to come and share it with another person. That's amazing. Well, I love the trust that was in there and the fact that he obviously felt like he wasn't going to be judged because on Wednesday nights, I go play basketball. He knows dad, you know, watches basketball and sports on TV, but um, he, he trusted the fact that that's, that's, I mean, he was starting to figure out who he was. He's like, it's not that I don't like him. I just don't want to play like on teams and stuff like that. Wow. Again, I'm like, where do I go with this? Like, what, this isn't in the plan. Wait a minute. Let me look up my Raising the Sun book. Wait, ah, throw it out. It's not It's not there. Okay. So what does he like to do? What does this mean? Well, he'd always like to build Legos, things like that. Cool. Good. And then at his school, there's a theater group that, that works with the school. And there was a, a play coming up. And I go, Dax, do you want to be in the play? And he's like, no. Even though he loves to watch like America's Got Talent and he likes to kind of dance around and stuff. I kind of felt like maybe he did, but there was stuff in the way. He said, but it would be cool if I could do some of the backdrops and things. I know mm. the guy who does the backdrops at the school. So I asked him, I said, can Dax help you? He goes, sure, of course. I told Dax, 
but then I created something. I go, Dax, I think if you're going to do the backdrops, you should be in the play. The reason you should be in the play is because you're going to need to tell the art teacher from the inside what it is the backdrop should look like. He's like, you're right, Dad. I do need to be in the play. Okay. Audition. Gets a part. Mr. Or Dr. Finkelstein. They just did the play. All of a sudden, he's memorized his lines. He knows the dances. He's loving every moment of it. He really didn't do any of the backdrops. He rocked it when they did the play. A week later, they're doing auditions for an even bigger play. Boom. He's like, I'm auditioning. So he auditioned on Monday. My son's an actor. He's a theater kid. I love this so much. This is so fun. Right? I just love acting. I love theater. I always have. And then I realized something. I wanted to be a theater kid. But I didn't have what he had. What he has. I didn't have the power to go to my dad and say, I like sports. Because I did. I swam yeah. all my life. I played water polo. But I didn't have the power to go. I think I want to do some theater. Nor did anybody sort of, we'll call it manipulating. into <laughs> acting. You know, you should, you, you should probably be in the play. Mm -hmm. um, but now I'm a little vicariously living, you know, his, his thing, which I love. It's fun. That's, that is cool. And, and I don't think there's necessarily the same negative connotation to the word manipulate that, okay, good. <laughs> that, that a lot of, you know, a lot of folks might think of. And, and I say that because I've had background as a massage therapist and I've, um, been for many many years a fan of chiropractic right and so when i go in they uh, they will manipulate my spine which just simply you know the true definition is manually move something around and so what you did in in setting the stage no pun intended there is you set up an environment you manually create an environment where dax could go in and then make the decision based on his experience, which direction he wanted to go with that. Because I think you would have been equally as pleased if he would have come back and said, I got no interest in performing in front of people, but man, I really loved painting the sets or I really loved, you know, doing this. And you'd be like, my son is a, is a, a contractor or a carpenter or, or whatever, right. you know? Right. Um, and just the, I think the important part there is helping him find that thing that resonates with him. And then, encouraging in him and being all in with it and i have a a similar experience that that's happened to me the past year or so um i grew up not a super sporty kid i i grew up lifting weights and i grew up being interested in strength and i played football in high school not because i liked football but because that was how i could get access to the school weight room right and and i enjoyed football but i had no uh, no pretenses about I'm going to go play college ball or I'm going to play, you know, anything beyond high school. It was just a fun thing to do. And it got me access to the weight room. Other sports didn't interest me at all. My son um, decided that he wanted to play um, soccer and also T-ball. Um, 
the soccer stuff that he does, it's more of a we we go there and the coach just takes him through drills and stuff because he was with a bunch of, of three and four year olds. And so it's mostly just run around, kick the ball and have yeah. have fun with yeah, it, right? We did that. When, yeah. When we got him into T ball, my wife comes from from a family. Um, her dad played baseball in high school. He played in softball leagues up until you know, he was in his fifties. It's from they're from southeast missouri which is st louis cardinals country i mean they they love their baseball there and i'm like okay i get it they're by baseball like where i grew up in tennessee is by college football you know people yeah. they 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 um decorate their rooms based on what team they've like you know that, that yeah. sort of stuff which is fine i'm not into that myself but he got exposed to a little bit of baseball. He decided he wanted to to play t-ball. And from a very early age, he could throw really, really hard, um, but not with a lot of accuracy. So we, we take him to t-ball, and the coaches start coaching him on specific technique related to t-ball. And I don't know baseball, but I know coaching. I know how to communicate with people. I know how to look at an activity that's going on and say, okay, what are the principles that are driving this? And, you know, what's the essence of what needs to be communicated? And so I'm watching these coaches do this stuff with with these kids. I'm like, okay, I can pick up on this. And I'm like, I think I can help him. Even though I don't know the subject matter, I understand the principles of coaching and I know how to communicate with my son. And he had such a great time. And he just with like knowing, because I knew nothing about technique or about, you know, how to do the things, just some of the technical stuff that they taught him on, you know, point with your glove, step with that foot, and then throw. Now, all of a sudden, he's not only powerful, he's getting accurate with his throwing, too, you know, and, and hitting the ball and all that sort of stuff. And he's an, he's a strong kid because he follows me around and mimics stuff that I do that are that's strength-related. So he's, he's already strong, um, which I've never forced that on him or never pushed him into it. He just likes to do what daddy does, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so so I totally get what you mean about the – um um the vicariousness that goes along with that. I never cared about baseball. And all of a sudden I find myself watching, like if we go out to eat or something <laughs> and there's a baseball game on, I'll watch. And I'm, I, I'm dissecting the movements because now I have an interest that I, I want to be able to take what I can absorb from that. And if he wants to, to be able to apply it to himself, you know, help guide him in that way. So I don't know that I wind up coaching T-ball, but it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me if I did, you know, so but what's I, I interesting about that is you're watching it in a certain way. Like some mm -hmm. people watch it for their team to win, but you're watching it for like dynamics of how to throw the ball so you can help your son. That's just, yeah. uh, it's just a mentality. It's like a mindset of what's important to you. It's not like that my team wins. Cause you know, people, especially probably in, in St. Louis, Missouri and, and in Tennessee, less here where I live in San Diego, because we only have one team Padres and they're really not that great. We don't have any other like sports teams here, um, except for soccer. Um, what happened so to the Chargers? Did, didn't Los Angeles what? now? Oh, I didn't say I didn't even know that. That's how much I watch sports. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for a couple of years. So what you know? So so people live and die by their team winning sure. or losing, right? Their whole emotions are tied to it. Like you have a different purpose. You are committed to your son, so you're watching the baseball to help him. How cool is that like, right? And I think what's so beautiful about that is that there's this, if you can become aware of ways that you can use certain things like media, and this will probably take us into a rabbit hole on media. We don't have to go there, but 
you know, me, it's, it's always the direction of how media is used, whether it be video games. My son plays Minecraft. And I, had, I learned about Minecraft. I took the time to learn enough about Minecraft to understand he's building stuff. He's mm. using his imagination with the tools that mine, Minecraft provides to build worlds. And we monitor it. He stays in what's, you know, called like creative mode, right? So that's not there's no violence or anything like that it's just daddy today i built this bridge or today i bought built the mm. amusement park or i think i could build this thing and that's creativity right and we have to understand that we're in a digital media world and if i'm like you're not going to use a screen go draw on paper and i keep him in you know the past he's gonna go revolt against that he's right. gonna go find out what he's been missing what why are we keeping him away so you have to, so this just both tied together for me. It's like, how do you use watching a baseball game sitting in front of TV? Some parents who are a little bit intense, in my opinion, that's just an opinion, who would be like, can't watch screens, no screens at all, can't watch it. Well, wait a minute, mindlessly for hours, I agree, not no good, right? But for a purpose to find out how to pitch better from the very best pitchers in the world, mm -hmm. hell yeah, let's do that. Let's do that, right? So, anyway. yeah, we we did the um, for the first couple of years of his life. We, you know, I know lots of folks will they'll have their TV on even though one's watching it for background noise, that kind of stuff. And we were like that for a long time. Um, my wife more so than me. But once he arrived, we started thinking about that. Um, what's what's going on? And and there's a specific story that goes with this. He was maybe a couple of weeks old sleeping in a bassinet in the living room and we had the TV on and we decided to watch walking dead and like something felt <laughs> off about that. And I I'm fortunate enough that I've spent some time with, um, um, with lots of, of people who know a lot of stuff, you know, way better than me, but one of the people, and this is who came to mind for this story is uh, Joe Vitale, who mm -hmm. I'm, I know you're familiar with. Yeah. Um, I've, I've known Joe personally for several years and, um, have a, I wouldn't say we're close, but, but we're friendly. Right. So it just popped into my mind. I'm going to text Joe and ask him about this. And I don't remember exactly what the text was. I'm like, so if we've got this infant and he, cause he knew we'd had the baby, um, we've got this infant and he's asleep or he's just in the room and things are on TV that, you know, and, and I didn't specify anything. I said, energetically what's going on there with this this little sponge developing brain and joe texted back a three-word reply that that affected everything that we did from that point forward he said he'll absorb it and i'm like that's all i need to know right and so we shut off walking dead and we for the longest time we would go visit family or whatever and they would have the tv on and we'd be like could you please turn the tv off while we're here because you know he would He'd never watched one. He would get mesmerized and just go stand in front of it, you know, or, yeah. or sit in front of it as a little kid. He's older now. So if it's not really get, you know, something that he's into, he won't watch it as much, but he was probably two and a half or three years old before we introduced him to the idea of it's okay to sit down and watch TV. And the first thing that we ever did was, um, Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer, the right. old 1960s claymation version. Right. Because we, we looked into it and like, uh, lots of scene changes and frenetics and flashing colors and all that, that plus um, the developing brain in a child 
sets things up to not be very savory, right? Um, but we started looking into it, and obviously, the the most amazing thing that a kid could watch would be like Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, right? Um, which my son's never watched, but like one of his favorite shows now, still to this day, is Daniel Tiger's Daniel Tiger. I was going to say, yeah, yeah Daniel Tiger, and huge. And huge. I I started watching that and completely fell in love with the show. Because at its core, it's about kindness. Everything else around it drives back to that message about kindness and about individuality and about how everyone deserves respect and love and and everyone has worth and value. And I'm like, okay, you can sit and watch this. Go for it. And and we still now, even at at five years old, we're still like, okay, you've been watching this for thirty minutes. It's time to shut it off until the afternoon. Yeah. So he gets he gets a couple of. He gets a morning yeah. and an evening one. He loves that. Same. Big fan. Yeah. Of, big fan of Mickey Mouse and Dinosaur Train and and a couple of other things like that too. But like, um, and um, Bluey. He likes Bluey. Bluey is the coolest. I love the dad on Bluey. Bluey's great. Bluey is absolutely great. Um, which that that conversation about the dad on Bluey, um, goes into a lot of the stuff that I talk about in Advanced Man Project about as dads. There's no instruction manual. Mm-hmm. You know, all we have to draw on um, is our own experience growing up, which is who was our dad or who were the the men in our lives or the women yeah. in our lives that fulfilled the, the, the you know, the, the role or models. Masculine role. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, which is, of course, siblings and teachers and ki- other kids in the neighborhood, older kids, that kind of stuff. Those all have right. an impact on it. But so like our own experience and then whatever stereotypes we're inundated with. And if we look at dads in the media, dads aren't represented well most of the time. I mean, you look at you know, like Homer Simpson or Al Bundy or, or <laughs> any of those sorts of things. They're, they're, they're not very savory guys. They're entertaining. They're funny, but are they who you want to be for your, for your kids? And, but I think you're right about uh bandit from bluey. He's, he's in there. He's yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think bandits, the little sister, right. And then there's dad. No, no, bluey bandits, and bandit are, bandits, yeah. the dad, Chili's the mom, Bluey, and I'm drawing a blank on the on the little sister's name. Well, we'll we'll check it out and text each other. Anybody who watches this can probably let us know. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's great. We had to we did a whole character development analysis. Bingo. When we, Bingo is her name. Bingo is her name. Oh, there you go. It's amazing how um, I can I can operate the Google machine as we're speaking right here. <laughs> um, Google. Uh, we did a character development analysis on TV, comparable TV shows when we created our pitch deck for Dax to the Max mm-hmm. and used things like Bluey. Um, your son might be a little young, but coming up next, which is a great show, is Ada Harris, uh, Ada Twist Scientist, which is a STEAM or STEM type of show. And all of them have this character messaging of supporting one another, helping people learn what, you know, they don't learn Um, when people are down, bringing them back up. They all have this undertone of that, the good shows. And that's what Dax to the Max has as well. Um, This undertone of inner superpowers and how we can actually get ourselves past our own 
fears, whatever they might be. And so I, I was watching these shows, not just with Dax. I literally, when he was at school, was watching these shows mm-hmm. because I was doing research, right? This was, this was my homework to do the research and creating this. And it was very, very, very interesting. But you're right. You have to pick the right shows. And um, what Joe Vitale said, I wish I would have texted him. I don't know his number, but I wish I would have because <laughs> we, when my son was like four and a half at, at Thanksgiving, we're at my parents and we turned on Elf greatest movie ever not thinking there's any problem well my son who's a bit he's sensitive in a good way he's very loving and gentle and caring uh, except for when he wants to fight me in fun but usually you know Mm -hmm. um he goes into attack mode um so we turned it on and and all and he was like "Ah." like, what that's what i'm worried i'm scared something's gonna happen to santa So he's now almost eight. Since then, he has only watched two other movies. If you ask him, you want to watch a movie? No, I don't want to watch a movie. He's not into movies. At some point, I believe he will grow out of this. But did he absorb it and keep it with him? Yeah, like so much, right? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That is so uh, fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. And and and. A similar story here we we showed our son the uh the rudolph the red-nosed reindeer he didn't make it all the way through it um the bumbles was a little bit scary for him at the time the abominable snowman you know the, whose yeah. whole problem was he had a toothache right right um, so so we we haven't watched that again since then but we moved on the next thing that he took an interest in was winnie the pooh the original 1977 what? or whatever it was <laughs> movie and um that that entire thing was just fantastic i mean there's it's interesting to me that every character in pooh's circle of friends represents a different emotional state mm, you're right you know? eeyore piglet yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, or, or, or you could, you could almost, if you wanted to, to really go down that rabbit hole, you could give each one of them a different diagnosis. You know, Eeyore <laughs> right. obviously depressed. Piglet right. is anxious. Um, um, Tigger is a uh, ADHD. ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, or bipolar. You know, depending on how you want right. to look at it. Right. Right. Um, right. So, right. so you know, I, I think I'm digging a little bit too deep into that, but it's interesting to me that those characteristics are, are expressed that way because. It it Pooh has allowed us at times, not lately, but when he was much younger, to to tie an emotion that my son was feeling that he didn't know how to express to something external that he's then able to point to and say, "I'm excited like Tigger," or "I'm feeling mm-hmm. sad mm-hmm. like Eeyore," that kind Eeyore. of stuff too. So, That's so again, brilliant stuff. Yeah. Again, it's all in the intention behind it, right? I mean, if if you're using your TV as a babysitter and you're just plopping your kids down in front of it to so that you can scroll social media, that's not a very effective use of your time. But if if situations like like you described and like I just described, we can use it to help them grow and develop. I think it uh, it's absolutely a powerful tool. And it takes something. Like I'm not mm-hmm. gonna lie, we did the full on like no screens for his first three years. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling somebody that, and they're like, "Why?" And I go, "Well, because we want him to be able to use his own imagination and creativity." And these are like, you know, in child development studies, the times where that brain develops that creativity, and we don't want to limit it and just have him, you know, have things created for. 
I go, all right, well, I get it. That's nice. But, you know, they go, you know, I could bake my own bread, but I would rather not. It's easier just to buy it. And, there are, and, there, and the reason that metaphor was, was like, yeah, that's all good. But in the end, like, it's too much work, right? It's just too much work to have your kid not watch TV. And the truth is, like, he's an only child. My wife and I were his entertainment, you know, yeah. <laughs> before he went yeah. to school. And we have jobs. We had to work. And there was times when it would have just been like, go on TV. <laughs> like, I, you know, so it takes, it takes something. And then we slowly started, you know, introducing it. And now what happens is just like you, it's, it's a matter of monitoring and limiting it, you know? Mm -hmm. And in no way will I sit on this podcast and be like, I got it all figured out, Dave. Let me right. tell you how to be a dad. You know, I, I'm learning and sharing what works, but I'm also learning and sharing what doesn't work, right. what hasn't worked. And, you know, you and I both, if we're coaching or whatever, we want people to see us as works in progress, not perfect, because we're not relatable, and it's right. not true. When I first started coaching many years back, I thought that was the goal. I thought it was like, get it all figured out, keep it all figured out, then you can tell people what they should do. And it's not true, right? No. We're not machines, and it doesn't happen that way. You know, and, and in that imperfection, even this morning, so Dex gets some TV time three days a week in the morning and he was watching it and he's supposed to know his time. And I asked him, when is your time over? And he said, 20 after. I go, great, it's 19 after. Okay, cool. Then it was 21 after. And I said, turn off the TV. And I shouldn't have to tell you. He was like, yeah, but dad, wait, they're about, I go, turn off the TV. Right. But you know, I go and I grab the remote. Here's the funny thing. I didn't mean for this to happen. I grabbed the remote. For some reason, the remote or my hand was slippery. I think it was washing dishes. The remote goes flying. So it looks like I grabbed it, threw it across the room into the wall. <laughs> and he's like, <gasps> and I'm like, I'm going to use this. <laughs> like, I'm like, do you see how upset I, I get? When you don't listen and follow the rules we set, we could have no TV, you know? And he was like, okay. <laughs> you know? And then later <laughs> we talked and I'm like, this is what really happened. It slipped out of my hand. I didn't need to throw it. He goes, you could have broke it. I go, I know I could have broke it. I'm not going to throw things. Were you worried I was going to throw you next? Then he laughed and he's like, I was worried you were going to throw the TV, then the couch, then me. Right? And it's like really gotten funny, <laughs> but we reconnected and we didn't leave it there. But that's just a moment of like, you know, once it's allowed, you monitor it, you help them, you guide them. Yeah. Because on their own at this age, seven, five, I mean, they're just going to do whatever feels good, you know, as long as it feels good. And that might be two hours of TV or whatever. And, and that's not healthy or good for anyone. So um, if I can, though, just since we're on the subject, I wanted to share, it's not a shameless plug, but. It's funny how you were talking about um, the Winnie the Pooh characters and the diagnosis of that. I love that. I'm going to yeah. keep that with me. When we created the, I don't know if this is able to be, I think it is, the Blah yeah, Blah Blobs. Yeah, these are the Blah Blah Blobs from the TV show. The Blah Blah Blobs are created when you stink think. And when you stink okay. think, it builds these Blah Blah Blobs. Well, the only way to get past the Blah Blah Blob is the power think. 
because you create power pods and power pellets and you can throw the power pellets at the blah, blah, blobs and then they dissolve, their stink thing goes away. Part of the fun of the TV show, but we name them after actual diagnosis, psychological diagnoses. Most of them, one of them isn't an official one. One of them, the, the orange one here, his name is FOMO. We all know that's mm -hmm. fear of missing out, but it's an actual fear. You do things even if you don't want to because you don't want to miss something. Right. But we also have Aldo. He's in the pilot. But algophobia is the unrealistic fear of getting hurt. So we want kids to do what you were saying. And I just, it made me realize it even more. We want them to be able to relate to, oh my gosh, Algo's in the way. I created Algo, right? There's not really a, like something where I could get hurt here. I'm mm -hmm. just making it up. We have a tele, a telephobia is the fear of imperfection. We have ATEC, ATEC phobia is an intense fear of failure. We have coino, coinophobia is the fear of living a bored life. Living a bored? Yeah, a boring life. Yeah. So our, our top five, you know, blah, blah, blobs, all are relatable with these faces and stuff. And they can yeah. see what they've created. That's absolutely genius. I love it. Yeah, thanks. It's pretty cool. I love it. Um, I I like the um, the the algo character. I think that that there's a attention needs to be brought to that because I don't think that kids are naturally afraid of anything. Mm, and, uh, like right. I'm, I'm, and I may have gotten this part from Bob Proctor that when we're born, like the moment we're born, the only two fears that we have that are hardwired into our nervous system is a loud, sudden noise and falling or being dropped. Everything else is learned. Mm, and then like the sense. first, the first real learned fear that we have is fear of abandonment. When we start to realize that we are in fact separate from our parental units, what happens if they go away? Right. right? Yeah. And, and, and those are the basic fears and everything else is learned and manageable. Right. Um, I think that one of the phrases that we do not use or we do our best not to use in our house is, uh, or, or words that we use really is the word can't. And specifically what I mean by that is not that like, like dunking a basketball, I can't dunk a basketball. I will never dunk a basketball unless we adjust the rim, right? Mm -hmm. You adjust the rim down to like, you know, seven feet, I'll dunk it. But, but so for me to say that I'm not, that I'm can't, that I can't do that means that I'm not physically capable of doing it. And I'm fine with that. Right. And so that is the correct or the, the way that I would use the word can't, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like not something able. Is, yeah, something not able or it's not possible to accomplish right now. You know, like I, I can climb up on top of the roof and jump off, but I can't fly. <laughs> right. It's, it's just... not possible in the current state, right? Yes. If yes. you dedicated yourself to dunking a basketball, started doing those calf exercises, got those special suit, shoes, started raising the basket a little, a little, you could possibly dunk. It's in the realm of possibility. I don't know if it is for me or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know I, I, what we don't know, right? Because we haven't gone yeah, on that journey. Yeah. Well, and yeah. and the fact is, for that specific example of dunking a basketball, I don't care enough to find out. 
and I'm that's totally the point, cool. right? And, and that's the point, right? <laughs> now, having said all that about about the context of Kant, something that that I noticed, and you know, it's, it's that whole reticular activating system. It's right there every time it happens around me now. Is very often parents will use "you can't do that" as a way to say this is not authorized or this is not allowed. Not allowed. Mm-hmm. And and right. one of the most one of the most fascinating hilariously funny things that that has happened in the past five years with my son is my son did something and a grown-up said and it was it, it actually he said something um <clears throat> he said something and he referenced the word penis which that's the word we use right okay mm-hmm. and that's because you don't have to be polite when you're being scientific right you know <laughs> okay good. i mean i mean that's what it is he has one mm-hmm. right yeah and, and that's an indisputable fact but he was being silly and he he was singing a song and the word penis was in the song that he was making up and a, a well-meaning grown-up said you can't say that hmm. and my son looked this grown-up dead in the eye and never missed a beat and said but i already did <laughs> and 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 i'm like yes the, this has worked the seed has been planted because <laughs> because that, that's been like a pet peeve of mine from way before we had kids it's like how are you going to tell someone that they can't do something after they've already done it mm-hmm. and yeah. and um I don't recommend saying that same thing to the police when he pulls you over and he says, you can't <laughs> drive that fast. And you're like, but I was because, you know, uh, the implicators. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but having that understanding because words mean things. And I think that we throw these words around without considering what they actually mean, not on a surface level, but on a subconscious level. Uh, and that was one of the conversations that my wife and I had early on is that we're not going to say you can't do this when it means you're not allowed or it's not authorized to do this. We're going to say this isn't allowed or whatever the appropriate thing is, right? Instead of telling right. that you can't do something like that. Because it occurred to me that if that's the way that a child is being told that they're not supposed to do something or that something's dangerous or that it's not allowed or, or you know, uh, this is not the time and place to do it. You can do it some other time and place, but all they ever hear hundreds of thousands of times is you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. It's, it's like, it's like this mental beat down where I've been told over and over so many times that I can't do something that I think that's where, um, that's where your you believe character. It. Algo, you believe I think it. That, yeah. You, you believe it. And that's where your character algo comes from. Yeah. No, that's really good. And it goes back to what I was talking about, the power thinking, superpower thinking, and what pathways and what programming is put into you. So when something comes up, if you've always heard you can't, you say, I can't, right? Mm-hmm. I can't do that, whether it be out of fear or you feel like, you know, you're not allowed. But if it's not distinguished, like I could see, you know, after Liam having that experience and him going, but I already did it. And then later on, you go and, Liam, that was so funny, <laughs> but, uh, but saying, um, you know, you're right. You can, obviously you can, you could say it mm-hmm. 10 times right now, like you're able to, mm-hmm. however, as we can probably see that in some situations around some people, we probably shouldn't, Yeah. but, but shouldn't is a choice. 
right? Now he's in power. So can't is the outside world telling him what to do. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't is him choosing because he sees, oh yeah, little old ladies don't like the word penis because it makes them uncomfortable. Right. I don't want to make little old ladies uncomfortable. That's not the point. I want to sing my funny song. I want people to laugh, right? And so then he feels empowered. He sees the difference and he doesn't internalize can't. He internalizes choice. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so right. so then then the entire conversation becomes a, a conversation about when is it appropriate, when is it not appropriate to do and right. say these things. Right. Yeah. Which is empowering. Totally empowering. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know we've 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 mentioned uh, Bob Proctor, we've referenced Joe Vitale, and uh, can you share another or several other, however however many you feel like going with this, role models or mentors or personalities that have influenced yeah. you as a dad? Yeah, I absolutely can. Um, one of them that comes to mind, going back to like doesn't have it all figured out is super real about that but has created an, an extraordinary platform is vision lakiani who's mm -hmm. a dad and then he went through he's he's the one who started mind valley yeah um, i'm familiar with him yeah and joe vitale i think has done some mind valley stuff as well if i'm not mistaken but like had his own program on there but Vision went through a divorce and he talks about, you know, his kids and you can relate to like him being a dad and all the situations he goes through, as well as being this person who's, you know, pretty wise and has lots of good um, personal development um, type um, teachings that he does. Um, then as a dad specifically, let me just look here because I have a library of them. Um so Dr. Wayne Dyer, before he passed, mm -hmm. I mean, very real, very good dad, seemingly talked a lot about his kids and his own experience. There was, um, there's this series, um, with Esther Hicks, Esther Hicks is like Abraham, the entity sure. that speaks and it's Wayne Dyer talking to Esther Hicks. And you realize the humbleness of Wayne Dyer, who's written like so many books and has trained and taught so many people. And here talking to this spiritual entity called Abraham is getting all the answers. And he's talking about his experience with his own father and how they were estranged and how he had these different things and how Abraham's kind of showing him the things he didn't see. And he was very open to it. He wasn't like, oh, I already know everything. It's the way it is. That stuck with me a lot about how to mm -hmm. be a good father specifically is to know that you don't know all the answers and it's important to like do things like this, that we're doing, share ideas. It's important to listen and learn, not even from like people who have written books or coaches, but from just dads that you see out there. Like, like my son goes to a school and there's dads dropping off the kids and picking them up and I'm an observer, right? I'm like, how, do, how like, and I, and I try not to be judgmental, but if I see the dad who's with the kid and he's always on the phone making the next deal, I do get that kind of thing. Like your kid's right there. <laughs> this right. is going to go so fast, <laughs> especially if they're kids like your kid's age. And I'm like, do you realize your kid's going to be in second grade before you know it? My kid was there just yesterday, but then there's also like the dads who I see them 
I just see in their eyes, like how loving they are, like how much they care about their kids. And that's a great example because we all get in that space of what we have to do, what, what's our stuff is more important. I got to, I got to go be on this call. I got to go write this thing. I got to go make this post. I got to, you know, you and I both work for ourselves in a world where we have to market. It never seems like enough. I could do more posts. I could do more video, (laughs) right? It can be exhausting. And then you can tell your kid, I'll play with you later. I'll do this later. We'll do that later. I got to do this. And then pretty soon it's like two years later. I don't know if you know this, but when I did Bob Proctor, and it's not that I'm so extraordinary. I just saw something. Bob Proctor was a training program that was awesome. But I had done training programs since I was 20 and I'm 54 now. So I've been doing them like more than half my, much more than half of my life. Mm-hmm. This is all I do is study. And when I did Bob Proctor, my son was four. And he did Sunday night videos in the Bob Proctor coaching group. And he would talk up, talk about paradigms and what he thought they were, right? Paradigms are like belief systems that are instilled in you. He would talk about beliefs that he had and what he saw. Mm-hmm. And I, I love like how that went. I got a lot of like feedback on that from different people, but I just love I can't remember exactly where I was going with this, but I just think taking that time inside of what we're doing, sharing with our kids, instead of saying, I have to go do this. So I can't be with you. I mean, I taught my son how to do Canva, which is a designing app. And now he can do Canva better than me. And he goes, he'll make his lemonade stand flyers on Canva. And I'm like, you made that? But yeah, you just have to do this. And I'm like, that's how do you do this then, right? And they're like, right. Dad, you just put it in. He's on the journey. And of course, Dax to the max is a little bit, you know, not every dad can, can do that. I think we're very blessed that that came about into our presence and we created and made that happen. But he's on the journey with me. So including our kids, you know, and those dads that I see who do that um, is really awesome. I was going to give you just one more um Oh, there's Joe Vitale, Life's Missing Instruction Manual. His, his uh, book is right there with me. But um, Michael Singer, The Surrender Experiment, Living Untethered, talks in both of those. The, the Surrender Experiment is a, bio, is a biography, <laughs> and it's um, an autobiography. And it really just talks about him and his experiences, which included, you know, being a dad and raising kids as he, mm-hmm. you know, went through being like almost in a, it wasn't a monastery, but it was almost like that to being like, you know, the owner of like a technology company of sorts that was worth hundreds of millions of dollars and how that all laid out with kids and life. And just good to see the mess. It's honestly good to see the mess. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. That last guy, how do you spell his name? Because I'm not uh, Oh, S-I-N-G-E-R. What was the first name? Michael. Michael Singer. Okay. Yeah. Not, not familiar with his stuff. Or if I am, I'm, I'm not making the connection. Um, last thing I want to do before we jump off here is do um, a few rapid fire questions. And so okay. I'm just going to throw it out there. Whatever comes to mind, say it unscripted, and we'll just go from there. Yeah. Sound okay. good? Sounds good. 
yeah right. sure why not um and I, i've got a list of them here so we'll we'll just we'll make fun and have some fun with it what is a personal mantra or belief that you are determined to pass on to dax you can do it Plain very and good what's the most valuable piece of advice you've ever received as a father Um, I, it just, it's just kind of like, it's a blessing. It's a gift. Don't take it for granted, you know, and every, every day is, I mean, and also there's, there's a reason like, like this particular kid is here with me, you know, and I just, I think just don't take it for granted. It's just, it's the most miraculous, amazing thing if we step away from it. Something funny or heartwarming that your kid has done or said? Well, I don't know where it came from, but my kid at like four and a half years old decided that he owned a hotel chain called the Fresno. And there were Fresnos all over. (laughs) And there were Fresnos all over and he licensed the name. So if we drove by like a a Hyatt or a Marriott, he was like, that's a Fresno. And um, it it just cracked me up. But then as the little entrepreneur he decided to be, he decided to also create a delivery company. And this was all him. Um, He created the delivery company and the name is escaping me right now, but the tagline was, we are not Amazon. And that was it. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Those those were pretty cute, heartwarming, awesome things. Which favorite holiday? Currently right now it's Thanksgiving because that's the family time. We don't get together for Christmas. Half my family's Jewish, half lives in different places. So Christmas has kind of gone past. So Thanksgiving, we go to Vegas. We, where my parents and my sister live and we have family time. And uh, I love that. Yeah. So Thanksgiving right now. What's a favorite family meal? Healthy or otherwise? Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday. (laughs) Good. Are you a Van Halen fan? I'm not not a Van Halen fan, but if I were to go to my Spotify, I would never choose Van Halen. This morning, I chose Pink Floyd. So not- okay. Well, the part B of that question is is where I'm actually going with it. David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? Sammy Hagar, but solo. Okay. <laughs> so we talked about Taco Tuesday. What is it? And that's yummy. What's the most disgusting food on the planet for you? Oh, um, raw oysters. Mm, good one. I had a bad experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is a cherished family tradition that you hope to pass on? Kind of makes me think we had more traditions or kept more traditions because mm-hmm. Christmas growing up was a big tradition like people would come to our house i lived in reno nevada we had the white fake christmas tree at the time it was like really but now it's like it's such a good memory there was all the things that would happen around that that's where i met like one of my sister's husbands for the first time and he he was from israel and he experienced his very first christmas um i think we're creating our own traditions now um 
and I almost feel like they're not passed on. They're just sort of now because I think all mm. the traditions that we used to have, we're not having anymore. Mm. Making new ones. Like yeah, making new ones. Yeah, we'll we'll go with the positive on that. Yeah. Um, and the final question, what is a useless talent that you have? Um, all my talents are useful. Thank you very much. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think I have one. Um, my talents are limited in their own. Um, and I don't think it's useless, but it, it is weird to people how fast I can add and subtract numbers. Really? Yeah. So, so like, how, would, how would you demonstrate that? Like if I just throw out a couple of numbers for you, you can, you can do that. I think so. Okay. Um, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put you to the test on this one. Um, how, how big or small does the number need to be? I mean, let's keep the numbers under a thousand just for now. Under a thousand. Okay. Um, 892 minus 127. 892 minus 127 is 665. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe on it. Really well, Scott, I appreciate you. No, 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 no. We can do an addition. One. Um, 452 plus 97. 452 plus 97 is 549. I did that with myself in my mind. I agree with you. Cool. <laughs> cool. You're quick too then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great way to end it. Yeah, that's right. I was I was With like math. double checking my math on that because oh, okay. uh, um I I as a kid I believed that I wasn't good at math and then I found out after the fact that I actually am. I just wasn't good at sitting still and paying attention in school. Oh, there you go. So yeah. um, and, and I don't claim to be good at math. I claim to be good at adding more than yeah. more than anything. Yeah, I understand. It makes sense. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, Scott, I appreciate you taking some time to hang out with Thank me you. and talk today. I'm gonna. Um, Stick around when I after I finish the record, uh, click stop here, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more. But I do appreciate you. But last thing before we go anywhere, if people want to get in touch with you or find out more about what you've got going on, where do we need to send them? I would send them to mindsinmotion.com. It's M-I-N-D-Z-E-N-M-O-T-I-O-N, mindsinmotion, all one word, dot com. Excellent. All right. Thanks a bunch, and um, Thank you. have a great day. You too. Thanks, Dave.